Illinois Student Ministries. How you doing tonight? Hey, it is good to be back in the state of Illinois. If you have never met me before and I haven't met you, my name is Micah Mack. Everybody say, what up, Micah Mack? I got to do something real quick and give honor to some of the heroes in the room. And that is the volunteer youth pastor, the local youth pastors, all the youth leaders and youth pastors in the room. Can you give it up for your youth pastors and your youth leaders in the room? Come on, look at them, smile at them, make sure they feel the love. Because it's not possible to be here without your youth pastors. And then also to the Illinois Student Ministry youth team. Chris and Christina, I love you guys so much. I honor you guys. And God's using you to do an incredible work. Teresa, who does all the organizational stuff. Chris would be a lost soul if he didn't have Teresa. Zach, who does all the videos that you see. Billy and Katie, y'all have an amazing student ministry team leading Illinois, and it's fun to be with y'all. Hey, here's what I need real quick. I need everybody to put your hands out to the side like this real quick. On the count of three, clap above your head. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. All right, good. Just making sure you're still Minnesota Vikings fans. Good. I just want to make sure you're still Minnesota Vikings fans, okay? Just making sure, all right? Just because I'm from Minnesota, up in the north. We do the skull clap, all right? In fact, true story, I was at a Vikings game last year. I'm sitting next to some Bears fans. I'm at the Bears-Vikings game in U.S. Bank Stadium. I'm sitting next to a family of Bears fans. The Vikings score a touchdown. Take a look at this video at what your own Illinois native did at the Vikings game. Take a look at what he did. We'll play this video. This is so cool! I did not come alone, uh, but I brought some pictures of my family who typically we travel together on the road. This is my picture of my wife, Steph. That's Steph, and that's my four-year-old girl, Everly. And as a family, we travel across America. We've been in Washington, Oregon, Oklahoma, Kansas, Wisconsin, all just the last couple weeks. We were in Pakistan. I don't know if any of you have been in Pakistan. Virtually, we were in Pakistan. Uh, God's been doing some cool things. And then this is a picture of my whole family here. And that is Everly and Malachi, my two-year-old boy, Malachi. And then, by the way, I did bring a giveaway. Uh, I just wrote my first ever book called Death to Life. Um, anybody have a birthday today in the room? Somebody have a birthday today in the room. It's somebody's birthday. Like today, like today. What's her name? Misty. Okay, after service, come find me at the table I have a book for you for your birthday. Can we say on the count of three, happy birthday to Misty? One, two, three. Happy birthday, Misty! Happy birthday, y'all. Uh, speaking of death to life, uh, anybody in here have a big fear, something you're afraid of, like um, public speaking, uh, spiders? Maybe it's cockroaches. Uh, maybe it's pools. You hate pools, swimming pools. Uh, you, 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 you're afraid of, like, someone breaking into your house? On the count of three, share your biggest fear out loud. One, two, three. Bats. <laughs> someone just say bats? Someone got a bat problem? Cats. You're afraid of cats. You know what? I'm afraid of cats too, bro. 
There's a dude out here who's afraid of cats. Anybody else afraid of cats? You just don't like cats. Like you'd be walking down the road, and all of a sudden there's this black stray cat that comes looking at you, and it's just like you want to run the other way, don't you, brother? Yeah, are you over six feet? I love you're over six feet, bro, and you're afraid of cats. That's amazing, bro. Thank you for sharing vulnerably with all of us tonight. Thank you. Well, one of my fears growing up was somebody breaking into my house. Anybody ever afraid of someone breaking into your house? You watch too many scary movies, too many Netflix shows, too many Hulu shows of some dude breaking into your house? And I think the reason why I was afraid of that is because growing up, I was used to dudes climbing the trees across the street and sitting up in the trees staring at my house late at night. And I remember going to my dad's bedroom being like, yo, dad, they're up in the trees again watching our house. And my dad would call the popo. If you don't know what that is, it's the police. My dad would call the popo. And I'd sit there in the bathroom as the police would drive by. And I'd watch their giant spotlight shine up in the trees. And I would literally watch dudes get down and run from the popo, okay? And so I think the reason why I slept with golf clubs in my bedroom is not because I like golf. But if some dude's going to walk into my house, he's going to get a putter to the head, okay? He just is. He's going to know what the feeling of a nine iron is like, all right? And so growing up, I was afraid of that, y'all. And so one night, my dad said, hey, you know, I'm going to go to the grocery store. Micah, you want to come with as a family, go to the grocery store? I'm like, look, Dad, uh, I've been surrounded by girls my whole life because I have all sisters. Is there any dudes? You have all sisters? You have all sisters. Raise your hand high. Be proud. The same dude who's afraid of cats is afraid of sisters? You have all sisters, huh? Maybe. Okay, raise your hand. Keep your hands raised if you're afraid, of, if, you're, if you have sisters, if you got all sisters. Okay, keep your hand raised. These dudes with their hand raised, they either got anger issues or they're really patient. One of the two, okay? It's true. You want to know why? You want to know why that's the truth? Because growing up at 6 a.m. before school would start, this is what I would hear in the mornings with three sisters. OMG, those are my Lululemon pants. I paid $150 for those and you're wearing them. And it's 6 a.m. OMG, that's my sparkly lip gloss I bought at Claire's. I'm like, I'm trying to sleep. Go to bed. OMG, that's my hair straightener that I just bought on Amazon. It's mine. Like, growing up, I was, the easy, I was the easy bake oven dude growing up. Like, my sisters would put me in an apron and be like, cook us something. Okay, I didn't know you sound like a man now, but okay, I will. Look, guys, I'm still working through issues today, okay? So my dad goes, son, you want to go to the grocery store with your sisters? I'm like, no, dad, I want man time. I want alone time. He's like, I get it, son, enjoy it, goodbye. So my dad leaves, and he goes to the grocery store. And it's about 9 o'clock at night, and I'm watching some TV. I got a bowl of popcorn. I have a good Coke. I'm watching some Sports Center, And the craziest thing happened. As I'm watching TV, there's a set of windows, and I see a dude put his head up against the window, and he's staring at me while I'm watching TV. About 9 o'clock at night. And the dude is looking at me through the windows. And when I saw that guy, about 20 years old, I immediately get up, open up the door, I look outside, I'm like, hello, hello, I saw you, 
I'm 20 years old, I have a beard, I work out. If you come into my house, I will jack you up. And then I immediately shut the door and locked every lock possible. Because on the outside, I'm like, I'm going to kill you. But on the inside, I'm like, I'm going to die tonight. I will see you soon, Jesus. Here I come. I'm going to die. I see the angels now. Oh, you're, you're prettier than I thought, Jesus. Sorry, too far. Okay. So I'm freaked out. And if you've ever like, been freaked out and you're home alone, how many of you know you, you got to literally turn on every light in the house? You know what I'm saying? You can't have the house dark. You know what I mean? And so how many of you know if you open the door slowly to turn on the light switch, how many of you know your hand gets chopped off? You know what I'm saying? So you got to do it quick in one motion. It's like, <laughs> clear. And so I'm 20 years old. All the lights are on in the house. I'm freaked out of my mind. I'm sure there's some grandma driving her grandkids around, and the grandkids are like, Grandma, yes? Why does that house have all the lights on? Well, there's probably some young boy who's home alone, afraid of the dark. But it's a 20-year-old man with a beard freaked out of his mind. I think he's going to die. So all the lights are on. <laughs> the TV's muted. I'm sitting on the edge of the couch. And as I'm sitting there freaked out, I remember I left the screen door shut, but the glass door open for a breeze. And as I'm sitting there, I can't see the door, but I'm like, oh, I, I forgot to lock it. I should get up and go lock the door. But before I could get there, I hear the screen door slowly begin to open up. And all I hear is, And then I heard the door shut. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'd be like, dude, stop that sound. Can I just say I got to highlight a really funny moment? I've never in all my life seen a student pull out a phone in the middle of a door screeching and record how beautiful the, the long screeching sound was. That was awesome, bro. That was amazing. So I'm freaking out, and I hear somebody walking around in my dad's office, and my face is glued to the left to see who's going to turn the corner. How am I going to die tonight? I want to know. As my face is glued to the left, the scariest clown mask I've ever seen in my life, all I see is the guy's head come around the corner like this. And he stares at me for three seconds, and then he pulls his head back around the corner like this. And when I saw that, I was like, you know how you scream so loud, but it's just air? And you're like, ah! You know when you go to Six Flags with your friends, and you go up to the highest roller coaster, and you're like, oh my word, I just remembered something. I had a dream. And your friend's like, what's the dream? Uh, I had a dream that when we got to the top and went down, the coaster broke, and we all died. And you go down the 
thing thinking you're going to die, and you scream, and it's like, and your stomach's up here. You know what I'm saying? That was me. Only air. And I'm thinking to myself, why do you got to do the head thing? Like, if you're going to kill me, just do it. And he comes around the corner. He's like, give me your wallet. Give me your wallet. And I'm like, all right. But it's, 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 it's wet. Here you go. <laughs> you asked for it. And the guy took off his mask, and it was my dad. It's my dad. He was driving to the grocery store with my sisters. He had a great idea in his mind as he was driving because it was around Halloween time. He said, girls, I got a good idea. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, dad, yeah, what is it? Uh, do you want to see your brother get the living daylights freaked out of him? Yeah, dad, yeah, let's see him get scared. So my dad went to the nearest Halloween store, bought the scariest clown mask he could find, and freaked the living daylights out of me. He's like, son, the look on your face. You were so terrified that as your father, I could no longer keep doing this to you, son. I'm like, you're a good dad. Thank you, dad. I love you a lot. Can I just get real for a second? In one moment, I literally thought I was going to die right before my very eyes. Like, I can still remember the image of the mask in my mind. I can still remember the details of the mask. In one moment, I thought my life was going to die. But in the very next moment when he took the mask off, it was like life came back into me. And the title of tonight's message is Death to Life. In fact, it reminds me of a story of a couple siblings who grew up together. You see, there was this brother and two sisters, and some of you homeboys out there know what that's like. Some of you know the dynamic of having siblings. Some of you have gotten in fights. Some of you pick on each other. Some of you mess with each other. Some of you can resonate with the sharing of clothes. Some of you can resonate with the stealing of things. Some of y'all know all those things, but the difference of this brother and two sisters is when this family ended up encountering Jesus. And here's why it was different, because their relationship changed. The way they interacted with each other changed. They started praying for one another. They started going church together. They started doing things together. They started spurring each other on in their faith. But something changed as the brother got sick and they encouraged him to go to the doctor, and he's like, no, it's okay, I'll be fine. They said, no, you should really go to the doctor. He's like, no, I'll be fine. It got worse, and it got worse. He finally goes to the doctor, and they do some tests on his body, and the doctor comes back to the young boy, and he says, hey, do you have a family in your life? He goes, yeah, why does it matter if I have a family? I just came to get tested. Like, why, don't, why do I need family? He goes, son, I'm sorry to tell you this, but we just did the tests of blood work on your body, and we just discovered that you have a terminal disease, and you maybe have only four months left to live. And you're going to need your family in your life. Young boys in high school, and he just found out he had four months left to live. He starts freaking out, like, yeah, right, I'm in high school. Whatever, like this isn't real. He goes, no, son, here are the results. You need to get home and tell your family because you're going to need your family in your life. And there is nothing we can do for you. What would happen 
If all of a sudden, at your age, 12, 13, 15, 18, what if all of a sudden the doctors give you the news that you got four months left to live? What would it do to you? How would it change the way you think? How would it change the way you live? Would the drama be as real? Would it fade away? Would relationships change because you realize how short life is? Would you live differently? Would you live for Jesus or would you not? Would you give your life to him or would you not? What would happen if someone looked at you and said, you only have four months left to live? It's like all of a sudden, the things that you constantly give your life to all of a sudden don't matter anymore. Because you know in four months you're going to die. This boy goes home with the news that he's going to die in four months. He opens the door. His family's there and he tells them the news. And the sisters begin to freak out with their brother. Crying. Can't believe it. But then the sisters start to say this. Hey, don't you remember ever since Jesus found us and we've been following him? Don't you remember what we've seen Jesus do in our life? Don't you remember when he healed our friend at youth group that one night? Don't you remember when he showed up at youth convention at Momentum and he ended up healing our friend? Don't you remember what God's done this far? So here's the deal, brother. We're not going to stop praying for you until we see a miracle come in your life. We're not going to give up and stop believing for you for God to show up and do something in your life. So day and night they began to pray. Day and night they began to cry out to Jesus that Jesus would show up and do a miracle, that their brother would be healed. But rather than the brother getting better, the brother got worse, so much so that the doctor said, hey, you probably have a week left to live. You might want to call family in to have family come around the bedside because you might die any day. And there was the family around the bedside, the sisters there. And if you've ever watched someone die right before your eyes, it's one of the hardest things to watch. And the sisters all the while keep praying, God, would you just touch my brother? God, would you just heal my brother? God, I don't want to see my brother die. God, I've watched you heal people. Do it again. God, I've watched you do breakthroughs. God, do it again. God, would you show up one more time? God, you love our brother so much. Would you show up and touch us? God, he's only in high school. God, would you please show up? And as they're gathered around their brother in the family room, they watch as their brother takes his final breath on this earth. And after a while, after the crying, after the weeping, the sisters start to say and think this. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you would have shown up like we asked when we wanted you to come, our brother wouldn't have died. How many people have been in the same exact spot when what you face in your life doesn't line up with the character of Jesus? How many people have said, God, if you would have shown up, my dad wouldn't have left. If you would have shown up, I never would have been abused. If you would have shown up, I never would have watched him die. If you would have, you fill in the blank. What happens 
But what you see with your own eyes doesn't line up with the Jesus you see in his word. What happens to your heart when you watch death and don't see life? What happens when you resonate with the darkness more than you do actually light? Where do you turn? The story I happen to share with you is a real story. You can Google it and find it on the internet. Or you could open a Bible to John chapter 11 where two sisters named Mary and Martha have a brother named Lazarus and they watch their brother die. All I did was take 40 verses of scripture and put it in a modern day story so you might be able to understand the tension of not watching Jesus show up when they asked him to show up. And here's the deal, is there are three things you can find in the character of Christ that every student can walk out of these doors with tonight, taking with them for the rest of their life. You see, Jesus was good friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They did life together like they were best friends. They hung out together. Mary and Martha would have watched plenty of healings from Jesus. They knew the character of Jesus. They, they knew if Jesus could show up, their brother would be fine. They've witnessed the, the miracles. They've witnessed the preaching. And it says in John chapter 11, verse 4, when Jesus finds out for the first time that his buddy is sick, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. I need to stop right here for a second because some student need to understand this. Before you give up, before you throw in the towel, before you throw up the middle fingers towards Jesus, before you give up in following God, you need to understand something. If you would just take the hands off the steering wheel of your life and begin to trust Jesus, you may, just may, watch Jesus get a whole lot of glory through your brokenness, through your broken life, through your biggest pain. You just might watch God get a whole lot of glory from it. And yet so many of us, when we experience trauma, when a pandemic hits, when something happens to us that we didn't look for, so many of us constantly want to find something to grab a hold of. Well, what if instead of trying to control our own life, what if we just grab a hold of Jesus, didn't give up, and watch as Jesus writes the story in your life? What could he do? Jesus knew this sickness wouldn't end in death, but something different was in his plan. Something different was going to happen. There are three things that Jesus does in John chapter 11 that I'm going to allow you to simmer on and take home. It says in John 11 verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Look at your neighbor and say, four days. He's been dead for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews came to comfort Mary and Martha. Time out. When a, a funeral would happen in Jerusalem, it ain't like an American funeral. In America, we might do a one-hour service, have some lemonade, a chicken salad croissant sandwich with a pickle spear, potato chips, and a chocolate chip cookie, and then maybe a burial. When someone died in Jesus' day, people would show up for a minimum of seven days, and they would mourn and they would weep. In other words, when someone in the neighborhood died, everybody knew because everybody could hear the mourning 
and the weeping. And then in verse 21, Jesus shows up on the scene when she heard him coming. And in 21, she says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The first thing out of her mouth, the first thing she says, if you would have shown up, my brother wouldn't have died. There's tension in that statement. There's blame in that statement. There's association of you didn't come when I wanted you to come, and now I got a dead brother. And Jesus does something so masterfully in verse 23. He looks right at her in the eye, and he looks at her and says, your brother will rise again. If you're taking notes, the first thing you see about the character of Jesus is this. Jesus gets the final word about your past. And here's where we see this. Do you realize how long ago this happened? It happened four days ago. This was something that happened in the past. They were grieving the loss of their brother. Jesus said he wouldn't die. Jesus said the sickness wouldn't end in death. Yet the grieving of a past wound, the grieving of a past hurt, so troubled Martha that the first response was, if you would have been here, Jesus, thanks a lot, our brother wouldn't have died. How many of us? constantly live from places of our past? How many of us constantly live from the wounds and the sins of our past? How many of us live from the pornography we looked at seven hours ago? How many of us live from the past of a dad leaving seven months ago? How many of us live from a grandma who died seven years ago? How many of us constantly live in the greatest prison system in the entire world? It ain't bars and concrete. The greatest prison system in the entire world? is the shame of our past. The shame that tells you who you are is an addict, that who you are is a nobody, that who you are is wounded, that who you are is a victim, that who you are is sinful, that who you are and you fill in the blank. How many of us can never live in the present because we're always focused on our past? Don't miss this. Pay attention right now. You want to know why the devil always brings up your past? It's because the devil doesn't have a future. All he has to go off is your past mistakes, is your past sins, is your past failures. But Jesus has something different to say. Jesus doesn't love to throw the shade of your past and call you a sinner. Jesus loves to take your sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west. He loves to make you a new creation. He loves to get the final word about your life and say, you are my son and you are my daughter. He gets the final word. And when Jesus shows up and says, your brother will rise again, he was addressing something in the present of something that happened in the past. And he got the final word about it. And if there's anybody in the room who has a past, you're staring at the dude on stage with the microphone. You see, growing up, the hero of my life was my dad. He was exactly who I wanted to be like. My dad was a volunteer youth pastor. The youth group would meet in our basement. I remember sneaking down the stairs just trying to join the youth group. And my dad would say, hey, son, you're too small. You're too young. Why don't you wait till you're in middle school to join? Why don't you go upstairs? And I remember the impressions of watching young people, about 12 kids in our basement, on their face seeking Jesus. I remember my dad just, he, he owned his own business. He was a public speaker. My dad, God used him in powerful ways. And I wanted to be just like him. But before I could ever join youth group, I remember multiple nights in the middle of the night hearing my mom crying herself to sleep in her bedroom 
her bedroom was just across the hallway, and I'd open up her door, and I'd see a mom crying. Remember, I'm the oldest. My sister's the younger. I'd say, Mom, why are you crying? Mom, what's the big deal? Only to look over to the left to realize my dad was gone. My dad was at the bars late at night, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. My dad would come stumbling home drunk. I'd hear the fights going on in my own living room between my mom and dad. I watched as once I used to see my dad open his Bible and read the scriptures in the morning. But now I'd open his door and there'd be hard drugs laid on the table. He'd try to quick cover him up. Hey, son, why don't you go in the other room? I'll be there in a little bit. I watched my dad cheat on my mom with multiple women. I saw things that no young man should ever have to see and I'll never forget the day my dad sat me and my three sisters down in our living room and he looked at us and he said, kids, I'm never going to step foot inside a church again. This is who I am. This is the life I want to live and I'm divorcing your mom. And after 17 years of marriage, my dad walks out of our house and now I've become the man of the house. At a young age, I've become the man of the house for a mom who's hurting, watching a single mom work multiple jobs, go back to school to try to get a degree, not being able to ask for money because I knew I couldn't ask for it. There was none I'd have to work for. It. I wonder how many people in the room know what it's like to grow up in a broken home or have a dad leave or have a mom leave or how many kids have said, God, if you just would have shown up, the drugs wouldn't have had to come if you just would have shown up. I wouldn't have to be the man of the house if you just would have shown up. I wouldn't have to be at dad's house every other weekend and mom's house during the week. God, if you just would have shown up, I never would have watched this play out. How many kids can resonate with the pain? How many kids can resonate with feeling in the middle between mom and dad? Not even a year after my dad left, my mom's tucking my sister in bed one night, finds a big bump in her leg, brings her to the doctor, finds out there's stage four cancer. A big six inch by eight inch tumor in her right thigh. The doctors give her a 20% chance to live. I just watched my dad leave and now my younger sister who's eight is diagnosed with a death sentence with 20% chance to survive. She went through all the chemotherapy her little body could handle, all radiation her body could handle. She went through over 15 surgeries in her lungs. Every child at the hospital on the cancer floor died. Jesus, if you just would have shown up, an eight-year-old girl wouldn't have to have cancer. Eight. I just want everyone to be clear of something. If it was not for the love of Jesus, and if it wasn't for a God who showed up in a young teenager's life, sitting in a room like this, who would often cry himself to sleep in the pain of his own misery in his own life, if God, who was a father to the fatherless, wouldn't have shown up into a young hurting boy's life, and not got the final word about my past, I would not be alive today. But it's because of the love of Jesus who loves to find broken people, who loves to heal them, and who loves to get the final word about their past. Jesus does this with Martha, and he did it in my life. He brought his power in my life, his life in mine. And not only do we see in the scriptures that Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, 
You see, the thing about Jesus is when he makes this statement, it's a bold statement. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And if some dude's going to say that statement, they're either on drugs or they're for real telling the truth. And here's the deal about Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna, other religions on the earth. No other religious figure to walk the earth has ever been congruent with the message that they preach. There's only been one person who was congruent with the message that they preach. There was only one person who said, I am the resurrection and the life, and didn't just talk about it. He actually did it and demonstrated it. He was sinless. He was born of a virgin. His visitation on this earth was merely a visitation, not an origination. Jesus is different, y'all. He's different. And when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he didn't just preach it. He did it. He demonstrated it. And then Martha goes and gets her sister Mary. Notice how Mary wasn't even on the scene, hurting, broken. And when Mary shows up in verse 32, when she reached the place where Jesus was in Psalms, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. There it is again. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In verse 35, Jesus wept. Number one, Jesus gets the final word about your past. And number two, Jesus lives in your present. He lives in your present. Here's what I love about Jesus. He shows up to a brokenness. He shows up to a hurting people. And here he demonstrates how he's a God who is a God who is always present. When you are hurting and when you are broken, sometimes what you don't want is another sermon. Sometimes what you don't want is somebody's good motivation or a good speech. You notice how when Jesus shows up on the scene, he doesn't preach a good message. He doesn't preach an encouraging word. When he shows up on the scene and he sees Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and weeping, Jesus weeps too. I don't know about you, but sometimes the last thing I want is somebody trying to encourage me. And what I actually want is somebody to cry with me. Somebody to sit with me and mourn with me when I'm mourning. To cry with me when I'm crying. By the way, do you notice the posture of Mary every time you see her name in Scripture? Every time you see the name Mary in scripture, she is always at the feet of Jesus. If you want to know how to get through a pandemic, learn how to sit at the feet of Jesus. If you want to know how to overcome addiction, learn how to sit at the feet of Jesus. If you want to know where to take your brokenness, learn how to sit at the feet of Jesus. If you want to know how to be an overcomer, learn to sit at the overcomer's feet. If you want to know how to be a triumphant person, learn how to sit at the feet of a triumphant Savior. If you want to learn what resurrection power is like, learn how to sit at the resurrected king's feet. Always posture yourself at the feet of Jesus. Mary always found herself there in her success and in her failures, in her triumphs and in her weeping. She was always at the feet of Jesus. Jesus wept too. And he's a God who understands every temptation, although never sinned. He's a God who understands every human emotion. As he was fully man and he was fully God. And don't you dare forget, he lost a friend too. 
and he's watching a family who he loves weep. I'll never forget the day I found out my dad was in a motorcycle accident and I get to the hospital. And the doctor pulls me in the room and said, we're sorry, son, but your dad's brainstem is completely crushed and there's no brain activity. It's as if someone took their fist and punched me in the stomach. And I remember leaving the hospital early because I didn't want to break down in front of my sisters. And as I go to my bedroom, I'm the only one home. I walk down into my bedroom and I begin to pound my fists in my bed. I begin screaming in my bedroom, weeping at the greatest loss of my life, losing my dad for good. And as I was crying and as I was weeping, it was as if Jesus himself stepped into my room, came next to me, put his arms around me, and just began to weep too. Just began to hold me when I couldn't stand. Began to carry me when I couldn't walk. And in the middle of my weeping, and in the middle of my crying, there was a peace that surpassed all human understanding and human intellect. It was as if God reminded me, Micah, you may have lost your father, but I am an all-consuming and I am an all-present God. When you weep, there are no tears that are wasted because every tear is caught. When you hurt, don't you forget I have a son who knew what it meant to hurt too. You are not alone. And every kid who feels like they're alone, I came to remind you on who Jesus is. That he only, not only gets the final word about your past, but he's a God who lives in your present. And you might say, but Micah, I can't touch him. Oh, there's something better than that. He actually came to live inside of you. He came to dwell in you. He came to give you his Holy Spirit so that everywhere you go, you had a present God in you. You see, he gets the final word about your past. He lives in your present. And my final and third point tonight is this, is you better believe Jesus, he holds your future. He holds your future. Everyone in the story had no idea what would happen. It's been four days too late. Lazarus is already dead. He's in the tomb. No one knew the future. No one knew the outcome. But there was someone who showed up who did. Jesus did. Jesus shows up four days late. Remember I said to look at your neighbor and say four days. Why is that? Because the Jewish thought back then was that it was possible for someone to resurrect from the dead within three days. But on the fourth day, it'd be impossible. Jesus, knowing the future, decides to show up when it was the most impossible on the fourth day. Why? Because he is the God of the impossible. He is the God of the past. He is the God of the present. And he is the God of the future. He is a God who sits enthroned, has angels singing about the holiness of God. He is all powerful. He is in control. He is on the throne. 
And he is looking for someone who would just say, God, I trust you with my future. I don't know the outcome, God. I don't know the outcome of an election. I don't know the outcome of a pandemic. I don't know if I'll ever get a normal back. I don't know if I'll get to school. I don't know what's going to happen with my mom. I don't know what's going to happen with my dad. But there's someone who knows the future. You see, Mary and Martha thought it was over. But Jesus, a rabbi, comes to a tomb. And don't you realize the final miracle of Jesus' public ministry is this miracle right here. Do you know what Jewish holiday was coming up? Something called Passover, where over 600-some thousand Jewish people would travel all over the place. Where would they travel from to get to Jerusalem? They travel from outside the city in. Where were the tombs where dead people lay? Outside the city. In other words, Jesus was saving his final miracle on this earth. Just before a Jewish holiday called Passover, where hundreds of people would have been passing by, watching a rabbi stare at a tomb. And in verse 38 of John chapter 11, It talks about Jesus, this rabbi, and what he does. He just gets done wiping the tears, and it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He says, take away the stone. The reason why they had a stone back then, roll over tombs, was so that animals could get in and eat bodies and so that the odor would stay in. Martha accuses Jesus. She still has no idea what he's doing. And Jesus responds to Martha by saying, didn't I tell you that if you just believe, you would see the glory of God? Didn't I tell you that if you just believed in me, you would watch me show up in your life? This is a word for some student in the room. You're in a faith crisis. You're in a doubting moment. And if Jesus could get the microphone, he might respond similarly to how he did to Martha. Didn't I tell you to just keep the faith? Didn't I tell you just to put your trust in me? Didn't I tell you not to lean on your own understanding of things? Didn't I tell you just to put all your trust in me? Because if you believe in me, you will watch as my Father is glorified. They took away the stone. Jesus looked up and prayed, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. You understand why the miracles come? It was so that people might believe as Jesus is the Messiah. When he'd said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. I love how scripture says a loud voice. Because a rabbi who would preach to crowds up to 15,000 people without a microphone would have to have a loud voice. Love how scripture says in a loud voice. Jesus calls out and he says, Lazarus, come out. The same voice, the same ruach, the Hebrew word for breath, wind, spirit, inner life. The same voice that 
used his breath and said, let there be light. The same voice who spoke the earth into creation and existence. The same breath who breathed into the dust of the ground and made man. The same breath who made woman. The same breath is the same voice. The same breath of Jesus who looks at dead people, who looks at dead things and tells them to come to life. From death to life. <laughs> ah, Lazarus, come out. <gasps> Breath fills the lungs. Heart starts beating. Brain starts working. A man who's been dead for four days comes to life. Nobody knew the future of a young, hurting teenage boy who'd show up to summer camp every summer, who'd show up to momentum conferences every momentum conference. But there was a God who did. There was a God who saw him sitting there as a 13-year-old boy, a 15-year-old kid. There was a God who knew. For two years, my church had prayed and fasted for a miracle for my eight-year-old sister. She battled cancer for two years. An evangelist came to my church one, one Sunday night, and he saw my sister. He said, young, one girl, young, young girl, one day you're going to come to my church in Tennessee, and you're going to give a testimony on how God healed your body. We prayed again for the cancer to be gone. When she went to the doctor to see where the tumors in her lungs had spread, they revealed that there were no more tumors in her body whatsoever and she's been cancer free for over 15 years you see Jesus took her from death to life and every Sunday she leads worship in the very church she was prophesied in that she would be healed every Sunday she gets to lead hundreds of people in praise to Jesus only God can write a story like that The same house where my dad sat me and my sisters down and divorced my mom. The same house where my dad would stumble in drunk. The same house where I watched my dad get arrested and brought to jail because of an altercation with my mom. The same house where all this destruction took place is the same exact house that my wife and I bought four years ago. And you want to know what it reminds me of? People say, how can you buy a house where so much pain was there? And I just say, it's because God loves to buy broken things. Put his spirit upon it and turn it into something beautiful in life. The rooms of destruction do not remind me of the death and the sin. The rooms where my kids sleep in their beds. The room where my wife and I fall asleep every night are reminding me of the faithfulness and the power of God. The very bedroom in my downstairs where I caught inappropriate things with my dad is the very room where I pray and spend time with Jesus. It's the very room where generations of sin patterns are broken. It's the very room where things of the enemy are exposed and overturned for something beautiful. And my kids who are two and four don't know the story. 
But one day they will hear a story of God's faithfulness and God's power and how he loves to take people from death to life. You know what I find really interesting? Is why did Jesus tell the people next to Lazarus to help him take off his grave clothes and let him go? Because don't you realize when Lazarus was alive, he could have taken off his own grave clothes. Could it be that Jesus asked them standing by him to help take off his grave clothes? It's because Jesus knew in a few short weeks he would die on a cross and leave the earth. And something on Pentecost, something called the church would be birthed. And God would forever use the church to help people go from death to life. But then to help them be really good at taking off the grave clothes so they can be free and who he's calling them to be. Jesus is amazing at saving you, but he gave you his church to help you be the man and woman of God he's called you to become. He gave us each other to be really good at helping us to walk and live in freedom. I wonder how many kids in the room wrestle with their future. Fear of the future, fear of the unknown. So what you do is you fill your mind with video games so you don't have to think about it. Or you fill your mind with TikTok so you don't have to think about it. And isn't it funny, every time you fill your mind with everything but God, you always are found in the empty places still. The emptiness never goes away. The emptiness never leaves you. But what if a generation could know how to do what Mary did? and put herself at the feet of Jesus in her anger, in her frustration, in her weeping, but in her gladness, in her joy, in her ability to learn and gaze at Jesus. Tonight, I came for the student who resonates with darkness more than they do light. Tonight, I came for the student who resonates with death more than they do life. Tonight I came for the student who cries themselves to sleep daily. Today I came for the student who finds themselves addicted after addiction. Tonight I came for the student who's been feeling impure, worthless, unlovable, unhelpful. I came for the kid tonight to call you back to fall in love with Jesus again. And this is your moment. And everyone to bow their head, close their eyes. No one looking around. This is going to be powerful. Jesus is standing at the door of your life. Don't talk to your neighbor. Just close your eyes and picture this. Jesus is standing right in front of you. You and him. No one else around. You and him standing right in front of you at the door of your heart. And what your heart has been filled with is insecurity, doubt, fear, worry, anxiety, idolatry, pride, 
gross things, yucky things, impure things. And he's standing at the door of all of the impurity, all of the shame, all of the weakness. And he's right in front of you saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. And he's waiting for the students of Illinois to grab a hold of him again. He's waiting for you to surrender all to him. You see, he's a God of love. He's a God of comfort. He's a God of peace. He's a God that heals. He's a God that restores. He's a God that reconciles. He's a God that exposes. He's a God that convicts. He's a God who is holy. And he came after the lost ones in the world. On the count of three, this is your moment between you and Jesus. All of heaven looks down in Naperville, Illinois, and all of heaven waits, overlooking at who might come home, at who might respond to the gospel, at who might respond to Jesus. It's time to leave the dark things and come into the light. It's time to leave the death and step into the life that Jesus purchased. It's time to leave sin and let Jesus be your friend again. On the count of three, I just want you to stand. If you're willing to say, I'm coming home. I want you to stand to say I'm leaving my sin and I'm coming back to Jesus. I want you to stand to say, God, I, I give you my life again. I give you my heart. I give you everything. One, two, this moment is for you. Three, I want you to stand right where you are, everyone across the room. Don't just do it because your neighbor's doing it. Do it because the Holy Spirit's drawn you back to Him. I'm going to wait 30 more seconds. Fifteen more seconds. There's people where Jesus is knocking on your heart. You might be a youth leader for crying out loud. Ten. Five more seconds. Four, three, two, one. Don't talk to your neighbor. Jesus is going to show up in a powerful way right now. Close your eyes. Don't look at anyone. Keep standing if you're standing. Jesus has his arms wide open. And what he's going to do is put his arms around you and begin to hold you again. Begin to reveal his voice to you again. Begin to reveal his love to you again. Begin to speak to you thoughts that are not contrary to his word, but thoughts that are contrary to his voice.
everyone who's standing, everyone in the room, I want you to pray with me. The first step to being rescued is being heard. And scripture is very clear that when you open your mouth and you confess and you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again, that he would save you. And so I want everyone with me to say this with me. Say, Jesus, tonight's different. You found me in my sin, in my weakness, in my pain. And tonight, I surrender my life, my sin to you. Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Heal me. Make me new. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray.